Books can take us around the world. They can take us to the intimate spaces of human experiences, and they can help us grow through their words. Stay tuned for People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. Morning, all. I am Janice Leibovitz. You are my People of the Book, and I have a fabulous guest this morning who I've just been chatting to. My guest this morning is Richard Wright. He is a global speaker. Author, and to quote his website, he's a sales guru, successful entrepreneur, inspirational force to be reckoned with. He is a three-time stage four brain cancer survivor who overcame all the odds of beating cancer while at the same time competing in some of the world's toughest endurance events, including six Ironman triathlons. Yes, that's right, six. Ironman Triathlons. Welcome to the show, Richard. It's an absolute privilege to have you with us this morning. Janice, thank you for having me. Um, and the privilege really is mine. I'm excited about this chat and uh, really grateful for the opportunity to spend some time with you. So thank you, and I'm looking forward to it. It really is an absolute pleasure to have you. And as I said earlier, I was online for your virtual book launch, and really the energy that that you you share and the energy that just flows from you even on screen, I can't imagine being in a live um, talk that you do. That must be absolutely incredible. And I really hope that you are going to share that with me and who, with whoever is listening this morning. And I know that you, you really loathe being called an inspirational and motivational speaker. You are a resilience coach. Is that a preferable term? So, so um, about the energy, I, what you're going to get is just Richard. So I try very hard just to be authentic. So, um, you know, whatever but I am. Authentic, is what I'm, what I'm, authentic Richard is, is energetic and dynamic. Uh, uh, it, it, we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to, we'll look back on this and decide. But um, so what I read, I love your know, resilience coach, fabulous, but I'm transformative storyteller. So I think that's all I really do is tell my story um, and in the hopes, and it's exactly what I did with the book. Is I uh, you know telling my story in the hopes that if if it would re- resonate on some level with anybody who reads it or anybody who hears me on stage, um, it'll help to, to transform their thinking and try to try to help them think a little bit differently. And if that's all I can do, then wow, I'm chuffed and happy days. And I, th- I think you like you like playing it down a little bit by saying that's all you can do, and. For those who don't know, the book that Richard has written is called The Power of Purpose. It's autobiographical. It's published by Tracy McDonald Publishers, and it's Richard's story. It's his story. It's about his journey with um, cancer. It's his journey through his um, Ironman um, um, journey, and it's his purpose and what his purpose in life was when he was first diagnosed was he realized that his purpose in life was that he did not want to leave his two young daughters without a father. And after this break, we're really going to delve into this and chat about his two daughters and his relationship with them and the purpose that he has in living his life for them, for himself and what that purpose is after the break. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. 
I'm back with my guest, Richard Wright, and we're going to be chatting about his book, The Power of Purpose. So, Richard, it's 2016, and you are diagnosed with a very rare form of pituitary cancer. And you do the worst thing possible. You Google it. <laughs> isn't, isn't that what we all do when we have symptoms we don't know anything about, right? Yes, and and we're always told don't go to Dr. Google, and that's the first thing we all do. Correct. And Dr. Google gives us exactly the same diagnosis for every single ailment. Um, and I guess at this time, you know, it's not the thing to joke about, but it, it, yes, it is. Um, whatever you've got, it might be intermittent pain in your right elbow, you know, some headaches from time to time, and Dr. Google says you've got death. That's what you've got. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it does. It dishes up the worst-case scenario. Um, and in this instance with the pituitary cancer, I couldn't even find anything on normal Google. I had to go to the medical search engines because it's just so rare, um, which made it even more frightening and scary. But, you know, what I read there made me feel good and bad at the same time. Uh, um, you know, what I read was you, you shouldn't actually be able to read this now because you shouldn't be alive. Um, and then, you know, the other... So, you know, obviously it can't be, it can't be that bad. So it was a bit of both, I guess. So, so you, you have this form of cancer and you realize that you're going to fight this. You immediately said, well, you know what? You're not going to scare me. And the other thing you realize is that you are not leaving your two daughters, McKinnon and Bailey, without a father. And, Correct. It, and it, you, it you then decide you're going to do an Iron Man. <laughs> So, so, there was a little bit of time in between all of these things, but yes, essentially. Um, so, so part of it at that point in time, and this is all in the book. So the book is, is, is not just the, the cancer story and not just the Iron Man story. It's, there's a lot of life in there as well because it really was a journey of unbecoming and being forced to confront my own frailty and my own life and identity. I went through a number of identity crises. You know, we try so hard throughout our lives to become all the things that we feel the world needs us to become, the things that we need to be for our parents to be proud of us, to say, I love you, you know, I'm proud of you, and to avoid the things where our parents say, you know, go to your room, you're no longer part of this family. And, yes. and you know, that, that continues throughout our lives. And, uh, and then when somebody tells you that you are going to die, um, you no longer have to be anything for anybody. You can be the most authentic version of yourself. But then I think you sit back and think, well, who the hell am I anyway? So that was a tough part of things. Um, and I've, I've always been a very, very proud dad, a very involved dad. Um, and in the beginning, it, and I didn't want my girls to know that I had cancer. So I had, a, a, I had to have a brain op to have the tumor removed, and I had to have radiation therapy, 35 treatments on the trust, seven weeks of that. And throughout all of that, my girls just knew that I had a tumor removed that didn't know it was cancerous. And I tried my hardest to try and protect them from you know, the, the fear and what comes along with cancer. And um, I don't know how well I, I got that right, but you know that, that was really a big intention of mine um, to try and protect them. And, and part of what was, I think, the scariest part at that point in time is that I actually couldn't afford to die. Um, I'd been through really rough divorce. I don't think there is such a thing as a, as a great divorce. It's not what we plan in life. But I really had lost everything financially and had spent six, seven years trying to rebuild and had got to the point where I was getting, getting my head above water, but I certainly wasn't in a position to leave my girls um, taken care of or protected going forward. Um, so 
you know, that, that was just the reality of it. And that became even a bigger driving force in terms of, you know, I don't, I, number one, I don't want my two little girls not to have a dad. Uh, and number two, I actually can't afford to die at this moment in time. Um, you know, that was the reality. Yes. So when you, you, so as you said, it's all in the book, but the book itself, as you said, is not just about, it's not right. Chapter one, cancer. Chapter two, Iron Man. Chapter three, I'm not dying. I'm staying here with my daughters. End of book. It's not about that. And really, I do urge you, if you're listening, this is really a life-changing book. And I think someone described it as um, a man's search for meaning for today's times. And, I I mean, you can't get a bigger compliment than that, really. Uh, That was amazing, especially from who it came from. That was from Bronwyn Williams. Um, And she's a smart cookie, and she's ink drinker. She's probably the most avid reader I've ever come across in my life. Um, so she read the book. In fact, it, it, the, the, the journey, um, Tracy McDonald approached me to say, listen, would I consider writing a book? And I said, yes, absolutely. It's something I've been wanting to do. About a year and a half ago, I started with one chapter, but you know, I don't even know how to go about it. And, and self-publishing or getting a publisher, how do you, I really don't even know. It's just too overwhelming. I'm still trying to survive cancer and, and work and earn a living you know, just too much. And that was the best thing that could ever have happened to me because she gave me deadlines. Um, I'm one of those lastminute.com people. If there's no pressure, it's never going to happen. Um, and Tracy was the pressure, and she was phenomenal. Uh, she and her team are really, really amazing. So, uh, but even towards the end, and having to send it out to a couple of people just to read it and to make sure and make myself feel a little bit better about what I produced, and Bronwyn was one of them. And her response was amazing. And what what I was worried about is that there was perhaps a little bit too much triathlon in there, a couple of too many events. And she's a non-athlete by her own admission. And um, she said to me, absolutely not. She found that the enthralling part. So that was interesting. But what happened next was Tracy said to me, listen, you've got to do a final read and a final edit. We want to go through every single word. I couldn't even get through 25% of the book. I got hold of her to say, Tracy, please, can I can we defer this thing? I, I really think I could have done better. Can I please rewrite this? Um, and it's, it was terrifying to think that people were going to read what I've written. And the reason for that, and I think that's perhaps why people are relating so well to it, and that, that's overwhelmed me, is it's a, it's a deeply human read. It, I couldn't have been more vulnerable. I've shared the deepest, darkest places. I've shared my failures. I've shared my fears. Um, but I've tried to make it not just an autobiography and not a self-help book, somewhere in between, just something that people can relate to in a way that's going to help them to change their own thinking. But but it, I couldn't have been more authentic and vulnerable, and I think that's what's been the scary part for me. And I think you've hit the, ha- the nail on the head because um, I want to read part of what one of our reviewers, Sarah Cohen, has said about the book. And what she said is, Richard's story is told with raw honesty, humility, and humor and provides proof that difficulties spark achievement, especially when linked to a sense of purpose. It is a profound story of resilience and endurance. It is a story that resonates deeply for every one of us, whatever our life circumstances are, and reveals lessons that challenge us to think differently about our purpose in life. He states emphatically that strength comes from deciding not to surrender. Struggles develop strength, and it is important to cut out negativity. He also adds that we should have a change in mindset where we focus on the wealth in moments, experiences, learning, relationships, and love, 
rather than money and possessions. And I think she has summed it up perfectly. And as you said, your authenticity comes through. That that is just the most amazing review, and thank you very, very much. Uh, I listen to words like that, and it's incredibly humbling, gratifying, thrilling, exciting, um, delighting. It's it's it. Yes, it's all of that. Yeah. Okay. After this break, I want to get into um, and three, into the three particular parts of the book and three particular yeah three particular um types of personality that are mentioned in the book. But we're going to take a break right now. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. Yeah, resilience and perseverance. I think we've all learned that <laughs> during this time. It's been tough and it just keeps going. And I think that's the hardest part is we can't see where the end is. Um, and what I, you know, what I say, I'm a professional speaker and it's what I do and I try and motivate and inspire and encourage and help people to, you know, change their thoughts. And, um, over this time, you know, I talk a lot about the events that I've been through and, and, you know, as much as they were really hard and they tested me with everything, I at least knew where the finish line was. I knew that I just had to keep on putting one foot in front of the next. And at some point in time, that red, that magic red carpet was going to appear. Um, and I could cross the line and the pain would stop. But we, we didn't know where this thing's going to end. And that's the hardest part, you know, um, it's like a bunch of endurance tri- uh, triathlons just strung out one across you know, one after another, and, and when on earth do we get to the final one? Yes, there's no finish line in sight, is wow. there? Wow, no, it has been hard. It really Unfortunately. has Unfortunately. So, so before the break, we were talking about um, your friend Bronwyn, and, and she said she's not an, an athletic person at all, and you were worried that there was too much description of, of your, your Ironman um, um, endurance and the endurance and the, the athletic com- competitions and things like that. Well, Anyone who knows me knows that I am the last person to to be interested in anything remotely related to anything to do with exercise or anything like that. And if you ever see me running, then you should run too because something <laughs> is very clearly wrong. But I find it fascinating reading about endurance races and things like that because it just fascinates me that people want to put themselves through this and just why. And I have to ask you, and I don't know if anyone else has ever asked you this, did no one ever ever say to you that you were being irresponsible? Oh, for sure, for sure. Of course they did. Um, so, yeah, thank you for that. That's uh, yeah, a great question. Um, yes, absolutely. So there are a couple of things that I need to say about that. Number one is that nobody knows you better than you know yourself. Um, and um, I would never right now, if somebody had to get some form of cancer, I would never say, hey, I think you should go and into an Iron Man. That's, I'm not going to say Is that. that's the answer? Uh, yes, sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not the answer. So to me, it, it was, there are a couple of things. So, so number one, where is that place? What is that place where you go to feel like you can accomplish anything? Where, where do you go to go and get your power back? Where is that place where you go to feel in control? And that's important, that place. Because... Um, it, you know, what we choose to focus on becomes our reality. And we, if we focus on the, on the cancer, and as much as I did do that in the beginning, I became this hashtag cancer warrior. You know, there isn't anything I wouldn't have tried or didn't try to overcome the disease and to fight it. But we spend so much time fighting against these things, that these obstacles, the adversity that's in the way of whatever our goal is, that we become more of a victim of that thing. Why? Because we're focusing on it. 
Um, and, you know, the law of attraction is whatever we focus on, we will attract more of. And our brains are the most sophisticated filtration system in the planet. Our subconscious brain cannot think for itself. It runs on whatever our conscious thoughts are that we choose to put in there. So if we choose to wake up in the morning and say, uh, you know, this COVID is terrible, it's getting on top of me, this thing's going to last forever, then our brain goes to work at filtering in all the things that prove that to ourselves and, and filtering out all the reasons that, that disagree, all the things that we might read or see that disagree with that thought. Um, and that isn't reality. That's purely what we did to ourselves. So the events were important for me. They were me getting out of my own head um, and taking my mind to a different place, a place where I know I can control my mind. I, I know if I can, if I can do this thing, if I can cross that finish line, then I can beat brain cancer. If I can cross that finish line, I'm proving to my two little girls that their dad is going to be okay. And those are really big, important purposes and drivers for me. But for me, it goes one step further. And in the in the book, you read this a lot. That. Um, training and the bike and, and, and getting out there has been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. And I, I, because I've done it for so many years, it's, it, it was an easy place for me to go back to. Um, and so a, a number of my specialists said to me, you know, Richard, if we could pick one person who'd be least likely to get this form of cancer, it absolutely has to be you. But if we can pick one person who's most likely to overcome it, it also absolutely has to be you, which didn't really help me. It was kind of a, you know, catch 22. But, but, uh, so, so, and then the last thing I want to say from an irresponsible point of view, there isn't a single specialist or doctor who said, yes, we endorse this. Off you go, go and do these events. There isn't, um, my parents didn't, my friends didn't, um, you know, everybody was saying the same thing. You've got nothing to prove to anybody. Um, but, I know myself well enough that I know that the mental power that I would get in return would weigh, um, outweigh any negative impact on my body. And the next thing is that um, I was part of a trial um, with uh, John Hopkins in the States, um, and it was a study on the effects of vigorous exercise on cancer and how when we put our body into that fight state where we're pushing it to the point where it's trying to repair itself or we're not overwhelming it to break it down, our body is in the best possible state of repair where it can fight cancer cells far better than if it's in a rest state. So there's all of that science behind it as well. But uh, I'm going to go back to the first thing and say that I still wouldn't say to everybody who gets cancer, you know, go out there and go and, you know, do it, Iron Man. I oh, definitely would, yeah, I definitely would recommend exercise, and I definitely would recommend getting out there because you know those benefits are massive. Uh, movement, whether it's yoga, whether it's Pilates, you know, right now if you're not doing something, you really should be walking around the block. Um, it's how we we become more resilient and how we deal with things. Um, get out there. If you spend your days inside your house, get out of your house. That's so important. No, I, I absolutely agree. And even if it's just to get out and walk in your garden or just to be in nature, some kind of fresh air is, is just good for you. It's good for the soul. Correct. So just to pick up and what I love about your book, because what I love about books is you, you named your chapters and I love that. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to extract three types of person and three types of personality and character traits the victim, the complainer, and the billionaire. Wow, yes. Let's chat about that for a minute. Who's the victim? Who's the complainer? Who's the billionaire? Okay. How do we, how do we get out of that, that victim and complainer, um, role? How do we turn that around? 
and and what is what is the billionaire and how are we all billionaires? Oh, I love that. Okay, thank you. So um, the the victim, we are all victims right now. If you're listening in right now, you are a victim. And I'll tell you what you're a victim of. You're a victim of coronavirus, even though hopefully you don't have it. We are victims of it. And the reason we are victims of it is that this thing has disrupted our lives to the extent that our freedoms have been removed, our freedom of movement, what we do, how we do it. Um, our lives really have been turned upside down. And all of us are you know, repetitively saying things like, when is normal going to come back? When do we just go back to normal? And that makes us a different victim. Now we've become victims of our past. We're hanging on to this idea of something that has gone in the hopes that we can return back to it. And the more we focus on this thing that is gone, the more we become victims of that past, which prevents us from moving into the future or even just living in the now. Uh, we're having a series of yesterdays all over again, or we're longing for yesterday. So there are a number of things that we're victims of. And it's impossible if you're told that you've got terminal brain cancer, not to be a victim and not to feel like you're a victim of brain cancer. I mean, how can you possibly not? But at some point in time, whether it's days, weeks, or even months later, there has to come a time when you say to yourself, I refuse to be a victim of this thing any longer. And one of my favorite quotes is Naomi Judd, and she said, you can only ever be a victim once. Thereafter, you are a volunteer. Absolutely. Yeah, I love powerful. that. That is so, so, so powerful. So right now, how do, how do we not be victims of coronavirus? And that is by focusing on the things that we can control, which is controlling the controllables. Um, and the, the second, thing we can do is is refuse to complain because what happens when we complain and i've gone through the whole science of it in the book is is very very interesting we're connecting neurons in our brains and if we continually connect the same neurons they're not having to connect for the first time where it's like building a bridge over a river and we have to connect this thing and okay we're thinking something for the first time so that would be taking a pen and writing with a hand you don't normally write with it's incredibly difficult for the first couple of words because we're connecting neurons that don't normally connect we're building new bridges but if you did it over and over and over again, habitually, you're going to become good at writing with the other hand. And so what you've now done is taught the neurons in your brains to, to build their own bridge and not have to rebuild it every time. They've got this well-worn connected path in your brain. Complaining is the same. The more we complain, the more we are going to plain, complain. And what happens when we complain is people complain back. You know, you're going to get which foot out there. When yes, I tell you that's, how what, bad that's my... what you're attracting. Yes, exactly. And, and we like to, we're competitive by nature. And, and so, Janice, if you had to complain to me and tell me how bad your life is, I'm going to say, just, okay, wait, wait, you know, hold my beer. Uh, let me tell you about my life. You know, if you think your life is bad, oh, that's what happens. So I actually tell people to journal because your brain really just needs to feel heard. Um, and I, I learned this when I was married and I learned it the hard way, um, is, I'm a fixer, like most men are. We, we like to fix things. And when my ex-wife was complaining about life and about things, it was natural for me to say, but, but hold on, if you just do this, 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 you're going to fix this. Then we don't have to talk about this problem. Then, and then that's gone. You know, I can tell you how to fix this. And then the fight started. And why wouldn't it? Because I wasn't giving her what she needed. What she needed was to feel heard. We all want that. And what I really should have done, and I've had to learn this the hard way, is to say, I understand how you feel. Am I right in saying that this is how you feel? You're feeling that you're overwhelmed. You're feeling that this thing is on top of you. You're feeling that, you know, you're looking to the future and you can't, you know, it's unknown and uncertain and you're feeling that, that that is, there's a lot of fear associated with that. Is that how you feel? And wow, I feel heard. That's it. Um, and, and so that complaining, if you turn it around, there's so many more valuable ways to feel heard and valuable ways to, 
um, to address how you are feeling right now. And that's emotional intelligence at the end of the day. And I think all of us right now are being called upon to be really emotional or emotionally intelligent and to try and juggle that the very real stuff that we're dealing with and people who've lost jobs and people who've lost loved ones and people who've lost what loved ones and not being able to attend a funeral and mourn them the way we normally would. And, you know, um, everything has changed and, and how do we deal with that in a positive way that doesn't make us victims and doesn't make us complain? Um, and I think that's critical. So um, do we have time before we need to break to deal with the billionaire? We do have a bit of time, yes. So let's let's deal with the billionaire. Let's how are we all billionaires? In. I think everyone um, – are you not thrilled? Are you listening? Are you listening to this? Are you not thrilled to hear that you're a billionaire? <laughs> you should That be. should just make your day. <laughs> make exactly. a week. There we are. We're millionaires. We're billionaires. And, and the problem is it's against reframing things in the, in the brain and in the mind. We've got this, con- this, this concept of – um, wealth is about the, the monetary wealth that we generate. It's about the homes, about the cars, about the security we've got for our children, about the private schooling, about all those things. And yes, that is fabulous and that is wealth. But at the end of the day, that's not where our happiness lies. Um, and if our happiness is around a destination, a thing, I will be happy if I marry that person. I will be happy if I can start that business and my business hits the million rand turnover mark. I will be happy if, you know, X, Y, and Z. What are those things? I'll be happy if I finish my degree. And then what, what happens is we miss this incredible, valuable, phenomenal thing called life that is all the stuff that is happening to you while you pursue this this, this thing called happiness. Um, and what I realized is that we are all billionaires, and, and, the, and being a billionaire has got nothing to do with monetary value at all. Every single day we wake up and we have 86,400 in our account. And if something negative happens to us, you know, that idea of I just lost, um, how many seconds of my, of my day and what are we going to do about that? And you've got 86,000 X odd seconds left. Are you going to throw away the rest of, of that time because you're going to spend the rest of the time, uh, moaning about this bad thing that has happened, this negative thing that has turned your day upside down? Or are you going to just write it off and say, okay, that was a couple of minutes out of my day that were less than fabulous, but you know what? I've got the rest of my day. Um, to live and to experience and to appreciate. So, you know, if you had to add up all the seconds you've been alive, for me, it's I'm, I'm 1.56 billion seconds that I've been on this planet. That's an incredible gift, and what an what an amazing amount of value and wealth. But what did I do with it? What did I do with my wealth? Um, and so, for me, my purpose in life is to. And the company we have is called the Enrichment Project, and our slogan is Enrich. And and my purpose, I didn't survive cancer just to survive cancer. I want my life to mean more. I want, I want the, the wealth of my life to, to, I want to give that and enrich other people in their lives to, to try and, you know, add to the wealth of, of their day, of their life, of whatever it is. Um, and that's important for me. And, and again, it's just reframing how we look at life and how we look at things. And what I learned through the cancer journey is that no matter how bad it got, those days when I really felt that I was going to lose the battle to cancer, if I just woke up in my house and my two little girls were in the same house with me, that's what happiness feels like. To wake them up and kiss them, nuzzle them in the ear and say, I love you. You know, let's get up and get ready for school. That, that, that's what happiness feels like. And if you had to write down a list of all the things that make you feel happy, make you feel truly happy, where, where nothing has to, there's no finish line involved. What you're writing down is a list of the things that make you feel wealthy in your life. And when we start to celebrate those things, everything changes in our lives. Did you hear that? Are you listening? You're a billionaire. What are you doing with your billions? 
don't lose the billions that you have. Don't lose a single second wasting time on what you can't change. Don't allow the negative to creep in and steal from you. Are you listening to Richard? That's a message for <laughs> for me and for you. Listen to Richard. He's teaching valuable, valuable lessons here. Richard, I think that is something that, that we need to, I think we need to just, just take it in and we need to remind ourselves constantly so that it becomes habit. Because it's all, it's all about the habits and all about how you think. And, and that has to be intentional. It, it, I was asked last night, I did a talk for a wonderful company called Monocle Solutions and uh, a young, vibrant bunch of people that are amazing. And some of the questions that came out were, were just incredible. And some of them were, you know, how do I, when I'm, when I'm in that vortex, that, that, that toxic vortex of negativity, how do I get myself out of that? And it's such an amazing question that we all ask from time to time. Um, and the long and short of it is nobody said it would be easy and it isn't easy, but it has to become an intentional habit where you, you understand the triggers of negativity and you understand the triggers that help you to feel better. What are those things that you need to do? It's making yourself accountable with other people. It's, um, and sometimes being hard on yourself and, and, you know, to a large extent, what I've learned is that we only really change things when the level of discomfort gets high enough. So if you batten to change things, you batten to get out of that negative place, the question you really need to ask yourself is, um, how uncomfortable do I need, does it need to get? At what level of discomfort is this thing going to be that bad that I'm prepared to do something about it? Um, and often asking ourselves that question, is, it's quite scary you know, to answer that. You know? so for some of us, we want to lose weight. Is it when I get to another belt size, when I, when I can't fit into my current clothes, when, I, you know, when if someone I have to take my... You know, my winter body out into the sun again. When, when is that place? When is that point where it's yeah, uncomfortable? We need to take on that challenge and, and just turn the challenge into a habit. After the break, we are going to chat about a life-changing TV interview. We're going to take a break now, and we're going to get back to that. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I'm back with my guest, Richard Wright. We've been chatting about his book, The Power of Purpose, which is his autobiography, his journey with cancer, his Ironman endurance journey. And now we're going to chat a bit about a TV interview that really was life-changing, not only for the interviewer, but I think for, for Richard and his daughters, and most definitely for the viewers who, who were watching Richard, last year you did a TV interview on Morning Live with Valen Kirtley. Mm. And Sarah Cohen, I'm so thrilled that Sarah included this link in her review that she sent me because I hadn't seen this interview. And I'm going to post the link on my People of the Book Facebook page. And I just have to say, people, have your tissues with you. This is just such an emotional interview, and I think Valen said this is the best interview she's ever done, and she, she got the biggest response out of any interview she's ever done. Um, tell us about this interview. You were emotional before your girls even yeah. came onto the set. Yeah, I, even now, I just, as I'm listening to you, I get choked up. It's um, so it's just that it's the power of putting 
your your stuff out there, your dreams, your aspirations. It's again, it's the mind. When when we, you know, it's, it's that power of writing down your goals, writing down um, the things you you want to achieve and 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 become. And so, and this is the result of one of those. So I love those, and I like intentions more than I like goals. And, you know, what are your intentions for the year? And we write them down. And I asked my girls at the beginning of last year, you know, what are yours? What are your intentions for the year? And Bailey, who was ten. She packed up almost immediately and said, I'm going to be on TV. And I was like, wow, you know, how's a 10-year-old going to get on TV? <laughs> and she said to me, hey, Dad, because, you know, everybody wants to interview you and you're on TV. And, and I think, so I was like, okay. So she says, I think they're going to want to speak to me because they're going to want to know what it's like to be the daughter of somebody who has cancer. And I listened to that and I was like, oh, wow, that, that, oh, that's big. But, okay, well, I can't ever see that happening, but Wow. And I was in an interview and chatting to uh, Manfred, a friend, um, and he's got a wonderful podcast. And um, he, he, Manfred Sadler, and he said to me, listen, Richard, you know, how would you, would you like to make this happen? And I said to him, sure, but thinking it's never going to happen. He said, just leave it with me. And the next day he got hold of me and said, listen, I've chatted to a friend of mine. Her name is Valen Kirtley, and she loves the idea, and she would like to chat to you directly. And that's how it started. And so Valen and I agreed that the girls were going to come on to live set, but we wouldn't tell them. So we didn't want them to be prepared or overwhelmed or incredibly nervous. So it was just going to be dad's going to be on live TV, interviewed by Valen, and they were going to be on set to watch. And they were. And it was, as you said, it was a really an emotional um, interview. And I think it was also because I knew it was going to come. And then uh, the two girls were invited on. And the look on their faces, it just, it was, it was wow. But the questions posed to them um, both of them wish they could have a do-over. Bailey's actually still got it on her phone. And from time to time, she'll watch it. And she, she, every time she's like, oh, man, oh, she gets irritated with herself because, you know, <laughs> she got so emotional and it was really hard for her. Um, and, uh, you know, my favorite question is, is what do you think of your dad? What qualities, what qualities come to mind? Um, that's it, my favorite and basically all the good qualities you can think of. It was just, this is the most amazing interview and Mac, comes across as this young adult, just composed, but it was so incredibly special. And again, it's my purpose, it's my why. Um, and to have them acknowledged, I, I, as much as I've tried my best to try and protect them from the cancer and try and allow them to be little girls who can grow up without those fears and just be little girls, um, I guess that's almost impossible. So for me, um, you know, people say, you know, why did you write this book? And um, I didn't write it for a big audience. I didn't write it to even be sold in shops. Uh, in fact, the fact that it's being sold at the moment, and the other day I took pics in exclusive books with me next to part of the books, and it was on the, one of the bestseller shelves, and it was such a pinch-me moment. Um, but that wasn't it. I never expected that. It, it, I wrote that book for my two little girls, that one day they can read it um, and understand how loved they are and understand how precious and perfect they are, no matter how imperfect they are, they are and in the hopes that they might be able to learn from some of my mistakes and, and pick up some of my life learnings and that ultimately they can become better human beings. Sure. I, I think that but, McKinnon and Bailey are your biggest ambassadors. Oh. They are the presidents of your fan club, for sure. And, I mean, when Bailey said that, that you are every good thing, that, that was how she described you. She said that, that you are just every good thing. And... And as you said, McKinnon, she just, she was so poised and she was, I mean, to have that sprung on them. I mean, when you were sitting there and that guy brought those two chairs 
And I was like, what's going on here? Oh, no, please, please don't tell me that they're bringing his daughters on because I'm not going to cope. I mean, I, was, I really wasn't coping when, when you were sitting there crying. And, and I was like, no, 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 I don't know if I can watch this. But they were so poised and they were so adult about everything. And, you know, to have questions thrown at them when they weren't expecting it, they are fabulous young ladies and they are a credit to you. Really, after everything, I mean, you've been through, you know, they've been through it too. They have, they have. No, they're, they're, they're absolutely, absolutely amazing. Um, and so we try and give back to. So I'm an ambassador for the Sunflower Fund. And for my 50th birthday a couple of weeks back, um, and I never, ever thought I was going to reach 50, let alone the next birthday. Um, I organized an, an event um, where all the proceeds, I got people to donate their age. It's like, celebrate your age. Just celebrate your age. Do something today that your future self is going to thank you for, uh, called it the Love Your, your Age Challenge. And getting people to do something that represented their age. And the girls also got involved and they donated money too. So they donated, um, Bailey was 110 Rand for her age and McKinnon was 140 Rand for, for her age. And just so amazing to have them giving back and being part of this and understanding the value of life and celebrating a life and at the same time trying to be kids too. Um, and that's been, it's been amazing. It really has. Um, they've had to grow up in, in a lot of ways, but, yeah, as I tried to say just now before I choked up, is, is, is I think our, our job as parents is to create a platform for our children where they can become better human beings than we could ever become ourselves. And if I can get that right, then I nailed parenthood. And, and I think that this book that you've written, as you say, you wrote it for them. And I think you better get used to seeing these um, books displayed on the bestseller shelves. Um, and feel free to take photos every time you see that in a store. And you're going to have great collection of photos because I think, well, actually there aren't going to be any books because I think it's going to be sold out. <laughs> so <laughs> take those pics quick because they're all going to be gone. But I think it's a, it's a fabulous legacy for your girls. And I think they are probably extremely proud of you. Thank you. So they got, when, when Tracy dropped off the first, well, had career, the first five copies um, they each got one of those. Um, so there, there's a little letter that I wrote to them that's in the book anyway. Um, but they each got their copy too. And they, they'll read it one day. I don't think they're ready for it just yet. I mean, they know the story. But um, I was careful to write things that I know that they, um, you know, I was very honest about a lot of my life. But I didn't ever want to write something that was going to make them feel less than proud um, to be a part of who I am. And um, uh, so, so that was also part of it. But um, I also needed to be real. And I, I guess that's... So, so, so I've made some big mistakes and there's some big mistakes that you'll read about in the book. And throughout yes. that, it's been, I've been very honest about that. You know, what, what do we do when we make mistakes? How do we, how do we make it right? Well, how do we, how do we deal with that? Um, and if we've hurt somebody else, how do we deal with that? Um, and it's an open conversation that we have all the time. So I've been able to use my mistakes to help them through theirs. Um, and I also believe that that's a very important part of parenting. And very often we hide those things that, that are less than. Um, and, and that's the ugly, messy part of us being perfectly imperfect as human beings, um, is, is to acknowledge every part of that journey and to to evolve as we do. You know, we, whatever we don't fix, we repeat. And um, I, I'm, I'm determined not to keep repeating things. And after this break, we are going to be back to wrap up. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I am back and I've been chatting to my guest Richard Wright about his book, The Power of Purpose. And you can buy that at all great bookshops. 
And you can also go and check out his website, IamRichardWright.com. Richard, before we wrap up, a quick question that I ask most of my guests. If you were stuck on a desert island, and I suppose it's redundant, because being an Ironman, you'd probably just swim back to um, the mainland. Um, <laughs> but just say, um, hypothetically, if you were stuck on a desert island, which two books would you want to have with you? Oh, Wow. Um, oh, that's a great question. So, so while I'm thinking about the answer, I just have to say something very quickly. I listened to that ad just now, and the first thing I heard was por- porn shop, um, and I didn't realize there was P A W N E. And then I listened very carefully, and then and then the end, the panline is we pay more, and I'm thinking you pay for my porn. <laughs> what are you paying for this? That's a really great ad. So anyway, I, I had to giggle at that. Um, yeah, those so, are the message, the messages that we tell ourselves, Richard. Those messages. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so. Um, that's a very, very tough question to ask me because um, there, there are so many. Um, blink. You've got one black, minute. Black you have or, one minute and, uh, and we have and to wrap tool, up. Tools of Titans I, I, that, that I love, Tim Ferriss, it, just because there's such a wealth. It's like a Bible of information. Um, that one and Blink, um, those two, just because you can read them over and over and over again and I'll keep on learning. Um, so can I just put in a very quick plug? I, I didn't ask beforehand, but I'm going ahead. Um, I would love if you could join me on the 3rd of September. Exclusive Books are hosting me for a virtual um, book launch. And that's another pinch me moment. Just to, uh, Exclusive Books are hosting me for a book launch. Um, so the deets are on my my uh, website and on all my social media. That's the 3rd of September in the evening, um, 6 o'clock to 7. And uh, it's going to be amazing. Mike Stockforth is going to be um, hosting me and we're going to be chatting. He's very funny. He's very sharp. Um, and yeah, I'd love to have you there. It'd be live. So yeah, thank you for allowing me to pick up. It's going to be great because between you and Mark, the banter and the, it's going, it's going to be great. Be there, um, online. Just, just sign up. That's all I can say. Thank you. Great idea. Richard, it has been an absolute pleasure and a privilege chatting to you and for you listening. I hope you learned some lessons. I hope you listened. I hope you paid attention. Go and buy the book. Power of Purpose by Richard Wright. Richard, have a fabulous day. Thank you so much for your time this morning. It's been great chatting to you, really. Thank thank you, and enjoy your weekend. And thanks to everybody for listening. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And for you listening, stay warm, wear a mask, look after each other, keep reading. Till next week.